Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. My name is Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So Simon, this promises to be yet again another rich conversation. I think it's one of the ones that you and I had planned, I think, from the very beginning. So we're going to be talking today about the dynamics of organizational change and the complexities, the nuances, you name it, right? So what are you looking forward to uh, in the conversation that we're going to have today? I think what I'm especially looking to to hear from is how they managed to retain uh, um, momentum, uh, particularly after the business case sign-off. Um, So there's a lot of work that's put in towards building that case for change and securing the investment and the business case approval from the organization. But how do you maintain that both into the project and and even beyond the project into go live? How do you sort of ensure that that momentum is still building towards and delivering against what you committed to in that case for change? So I'd like to hear the guests views on that. Yeah. And and you know what? I think I completely agree. And that's the big thing for me. I want to know how Anne and Helen built their argument, their story, if you like, that got that initial buy-in, because there's so many nuances and it's not easy. And you're right. How do you then keep that momentum? Because it's not a given just because the stakeholders have approved or signed off on something. It doesn't mean that that's going to be there forever and today. You you have to keep the flow. You have to keep the momentum. So I just think that that whole end-to-end piece which should never be underestimated, I think is going to be a key part of this conversation today. So it should be really good. So we are delighted to welcome Helen Adams and Anne Hawkins to the podcast. Welcome both. Hi, great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Helen's the Senior Director of Global HR Business Transformation at Walgreen Boots Alliance. Helen has worked in HR for 20 plus years across the consumer goods and retail sectors. She's worked across all areas of HR, including a number of strategic HR business partnering roles and leading total rewards. Since 2019, Helen has been the program lead for Walgreen Boots Alliance HR Transformation Program. Helen is a member of the Women of Walgreen Boots Alliance UK's Business Resource Group, where she leads their Lean In Circle initiative, supporting women to expand their networks and achieve their desired potential. Helen lives in Nottingham and spends most of her free time keeping her sons aged. 12 and 9, fed, watered, and on time for their various activities. And and joining Helen, we're delighted to have Anne Hawkins. Anne is the transformation lead at Walgreen Boots Alliance as part of the IT business service platform. Anne is a senior leader in IT, having spent over 25 years in a variety of roles in the solution delivery space. 18 of those years has been spent at Walgreen Boots Alliance, formerly in their wholesale division, and for the last seven years, working in the corporate team. In addition, Anne is a keen champion of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and is the UK chair of Inclusive IT, one of WBA's business resource groups, and is a huge advocate of allyship in the workplace. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're discussing a meaty topic, the the dynamics of organizational change, which I think we've been covering quite a lot throughout the episode because this word change, I think, is prevalent in all of our lives. I think we're all experiencing, certainly come through the pandemic, 
whether it be social, economic, and obviously what's happening, you know, uh, in, in Ukraine, we just are living through this period of phenomenal change. But what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean from an organizational context? What does it actually mean from an individual perspective? And I think that's what we're going to dig into on this episode. So as we do with each episode, let's put this into context. So change is constant and it's all around us. Some change only affects us and as such is easier to stay in control of. But organization change is way more complex. The involvement of others adds a number of additional challenges, such as understanding who is impacted, who actually cares about it, and gaining consensus of the need to change and so on. Now, when you are leading this work in one of the world's largest organizations, the challenges are magnified even further. So the dynamics of organizational change can be complicated. It is multifaceted and for us, is based on four key considerations. So firstly, what is humanly desirable? The reason for the change, if you like. Is it technologically feasible? And also, is it economically viable for the organization? Now, for Simon and myself, working with our guests over a sustained period of time, we developed the fourth dimension together, which is organizational readiness to even execute the change. It's okay knowing you need to change, but organizationally, are you actually ready and able to do it? We're now in an era where the pace of change is relentless and the pressure internally and externally to evolve can be intense. So how do we do this? How do we get an organization to align around a change? What does that look and feel like? So we're going to explore this complex topic with our guests, Ellen and Anne, and we hope to get a glimpse into their successes, lessons learned, I'm sure some of the scars, and I'm sure some of their tips too. So let's do a little bit of a scene setter, actually. Anne, if I could come to you first of all, embarking on a significant organizational change. To some, it feels like climbing a mountain. Is that a fair statement and comment to kick us off? I think the way I would best describe it is what I can only imagine doing the 10 tours in Dartmoor in Devon must be like, because it wasn't a constant uphill battle. It was, well, there's 10 little mini uh, mountains. So I think we had periods of huge energy and success and we, you know, we felt we'd reached the top of and then we perhaps might slide back down a little bit when we met a little bit of resistance and then, you know, carried back on. So it was much more up and down than a constant struggle. Helen, would you say that's fair? Absolutely. I was going to similarly say it's about, for me, it's a mountain range more than it's a mountain. <laughs> and when those curveballs come, it's about getting back up and, and going again. <laughs> I think that's a good analogy. I think it is about a range, isn't it? It's the peaks and the lows. And of course, you build some momentum as you're going along. So before we just get into the real detail and just mindful for our, for our listeners, Helen, could you just give us a sense of the scope, if you like, of the, of the change that you guys were leading and driving? Sure. So Walgreens Boots Alliance, our purpose is all about creating more joyful lives through better health. And our vision is to be the leading partner in wellbeing for all. And to achieve that, we've got four strategic priorities, one of which is 
building a high performance course yet and a winning team. And within that, one of the ways that we're going about that is by looking to improve team member experience. And the HR Transformation Programme's contribution to that is to improve the foundations of HR in order to drive an improvement in team member experience. And that, that, that's really helpful, right? So we now have got a good understanding of the breadth of this. Now, it's interesting just listening back to what you were saying, you know, talking about that customer experience, talking about that employee experience. I think we're all as consumers becoming blissfully aware that this word experience is really crucial. You'd think that that's a really clear argument, right? And, you know, people would get that and that's pretty straightforward. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't that be the focus? But it isn't that simple. So, Anne, he- Helen referenced there, you know, that you had to build the case, the argument, the case for change, this, the whole gambit. So, when we consider the building, if you like, of this argument to change, and I think it's a really important word for me personally, because if we take the true definition of change, it's discontentment with the current state. And if somebody isn't discontented, then they're not going to change. They're not going to move. So there needs to be almost an argument, if you like, to raise that discontentment and and, and make the point viscerally that something needs to happen. Can you talk us through what that looked like, that process, if you like, from your perspective? You know, what did it entail and how did you start to approach it? So I think before we actually embarked on the transformational program change there was a bit of a precursor which was essentially just myself and um, one of the HR leadership team who were looking at our global HRIS roadmap so we had a bit of foundation before we started on the transformation change and that was fundamentally driven from the fact that Walgreens had implemented success factors and the rest of WBA, the, the remaining HR directors are saying, well, when are we getting, when are we getting success factors? And so, and, and when you look at that, we had country HR directors, we had regional HR directors, and then we had sort of, you know, like the Boots HR director or the Global Brands HR director. In each of those markets, they had their own HR systems and quite complex and, and old legacy systems. So, that's where we started. And um, and myself and Tom did some work. We went back to the GHRLT and said, this is what a, a roadmap could look like. And um, our then global HR director said, I think we need to take, we need to, to approach this in a global but thin slice. So we looked at talent to start with because we felt that might be more achievable than implementing an entire HR platform globally. So, yes, so it was really starting off with just two people trying to pull together this much larger initiative. I was incredibly lucky because Helen had a similar agenda for her divisional function. And so we were able to then join forces and start pulling together the bones of a of a business case, which then grew. Um, but we needed to do an incredible amount of work pulling together and managing the expectations of the, the HR and IT teams in each of the markets. Because if you can imagine, they're used to working independently. And all of a sudden, 
we're riding into town to say, no, we're going to do something globally for the first time. So global funding, global approval process, and really driving this more centrally led systems and, and process agenda. So interestingly, from an IT perspective, it wasn't so much a, a case of building the case for change because with Walgreens, um, our US division, implementing success factors previously, by it had become by de facto success factors was going to be our HR platform. So really the big case for change was in the HR space. So Helen, your thoughts around that? I think we knew instinctively this was right. We knew all the feedback we were getting when we talked to the HR directors, when we talked to IT, was that people were behind us. And I'd got, um, I was lucky in that I was in our global brands business at the time, since called Number 7 Beauty Company, and our managing director at the time had a real passion as well for sorting out our talent system. So we knew we'd got business engagement, HR engagement, IT engagement. I think what we underestimated was the amount of time that takes to build that into a business and a financial case and also get the financial team, the finance team on site. And the moment that it changed and it went from Anne and I and our little, say little, it was still a talent system from a global business and the HR transformation program kicked off. And we then basically took our little HRIS projects and put it as part of this greater whole. And in some ways, what that did is that opened us up to a wider conversation around building the business case. But it also added a ton more complexity in, in terms of how you start to build HRIS as one platform of a global business case. And so therefore, we had to take that story that we'd started and build that then on this platform around team member experience and restart to align everybody and build that case for change again. You, you mentioned the word story. Right. So I think that's what it becomes, isn't it? The argument almost becomes a, a little bit of a, a, of a story. Just to bring Anne in, in, in for a second, it, it is a story, Anne, isn't it? It is. And we were incredibly lucky that we were chatting to the Boots HR director at the time, Nathan Clements, and he said exactly that. He said, I'm going to write down the story of why we need to do this. It, and that was almost a kickstart, Helen, wasn't it? We said we took what he wrote and then made that our larger story but you're absolutely right it is exactly the the why are we doing this why do we need to do this because when we bring in the stakeholder alignment piece and 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 helen if i could just come to you on this particular question and then we can sort of yeah. build this out a little bit more from my experience going back to what i said there about who cares about the change right individual you you own it but organization it's different the stakeholder alignment aspect is by far the more, most important it can be exhausting Right. It can be exhausting. So thinking about that story, shaping the story, shaping the argument again, can you give us that lens then into how you started to build that out and how you started to expose it to that stakeholder community? As I was saying, you know, we had this story, we built this further with Nathan's support around what that meant. And then what came over the hill was this HR transformation program with this view of experience. And I think it was that mashing of the experience lens and the case for change that we'd been building that started to have a story that had legs that enabled us to not just talk to HR and IT, but in the conversations that we were then having, we then were in with the finance team and with our global cost management steer co. And in there, therefore, we'd got senior leaders from around the business. We were starting to buy into this idea of, yes, of course, we want to make things better for our employees. And and I think 
every leader that we spoke to could understand how hard it was to get data and get quality information. And that meant we got that hook. And you hook that then into actually how this feels for an employee versus what they are used to experiencing increasingly in their life outside work in terms of their experiences of a consumer. And that story started to make a lot of sense. The challenge we then had to overcome was, but how do you make sure the financials stack up against it? And would you agree with that? I would. And I would say out of probably all the functions I support, HR benefited from the fact that our senior stakeholders were also consumers of the systems. So they were pretty converted early on. You're right. It was making sure the financials stacked up. Yeah. And it it always goes back to the argument of the justification. You know, I, I always believe that you know, you could have what on paper looks like a strong justification, but you don't have a visceral argument that connects me to it emotionally, because it's not just, yes, it stacks up financially, or we're going to get a solution. But actually, what are you asking me to do? You're actually asking me to change. You're asking me to change my behavior. You're asking me to lead perhaps in a different way. This is going to have major implications for every single individual contributor in terms of how they execute processes. So it's not just, you know, one part of the puzzle, it's, it's multiple parts of the puzzle, isn't it? Now, the other, we, we, there's another question that I wanted to ask today, and maybe I'll ask it now, actually, because we were talking about this. One of the things sometimes when you're making a case for change and you've got the stakeholder alignment and you do get to the point where, you know, the man or the lady from Del Monte says, yay, you know, sometimes it's easy to put, get the bunting out and get the party hat on and celebrate. But it's not then a given that that momentum, that support is going to be sustained. Right. And I think that's a myth. <laughs> you still actually got to keep that stakeholder support. You've got to almost go back around the story and demonstrate that what they agreed to and to support. So, Helen, if I can come to you, first of all, keeping momentum is equally challenging, isn't it? Absolutely. And I'd say a big part for us of the last few years has been keeping the momentum from the idea generation and the agreement to even getting the business case signed off, never mind the momentum that needs to come once you've got sign off and you're into implementation. And I think the key moment for us, if I really, really look back over the last few years, I think the biggest difference in that momentum actually came when you know, Anne and I have had this partnership for year, you know a good few years now, and, and as HR and IT, we were really aligned. The thing that really unlocked this for me in terms of momentum was once we had our finance partners who've been brilliant, our procurement partners and our comms partners alongside us. And it's then almost with that five piece of cross-functional alignment that has really meant we've been able to work the organisation to keep this thing moving. And I, it's not something I'd ever thought about. I mean, right back at the beginning, Anna and I would talk about we really need finance, a finance person. We need to be a trio, not a duo. So I knew the finance lens, but actually adding that procurement and that comms lens to that alongside Anne's and my teams has been massive for us in terms of maintaining that momentum. It's a top tip, that, Anne, isn't it? It is. But I think taking your point from your question, the momentum has to keep going post approval of the business case you're right Helen and I just wanted to take a month off and go to a deserted island if I'm completely honest um but that's when the work starts doesn't it and that's when 
the assumptions people and key stakeholders have made during the build up, you have to manage, revisit the narrative. This is why we're doing it. Because as well, in a company, there's the scale and size of WBA, you have then vested interests. Well, we need this. Well, we expected it to do this. And that's not just from an HR. That's, you know, IT and procurement and finance. Well, we expected these benefits. And then you throw in a, an implementation partner into the mix as well. And when you bring any new person to a group, you go straight back to, you know, having to sort of set your reset your vision. So I think it's harder maintaining that alignment post-approval. I, I think it's so, so important to cover that point because I think it's missed often. Mm. I do think it's missed. I, I, I really do. It, it, it should just never, ever be underestimated. Just to sort of unpick a little bit then, and, and again, thinking about, you know, going from the case for change, getting those stakeholders aligned, Simon and I had the privilege of, of working with you both, and we absolutely loved it. And I remember many occasions we would be in a room and whiteboarding and thinking through different scenarios. And I think it was through one of those, and we were talking about the considerations of the change that, you know, I think Helen infamously quoted, I don't think this is organizationally doable today. And I do think those are seminal moments. Going back to your point, Anne, earlier on about a solution doesn't matter really what the solution is the technological feasibility i think was okay i think that was not really in doubt but helen's point was i'm not sure we're we're, we're ready we're, we're, this isn't doable just to give us a lens into that because again you build a case for change you build an argument that's one thing you start to tell a story to the organization about what this could be what this could mean etc cetera, etc cetera. How do you then shift the organization, though, to get itself organizationally in a place where it can make the change and consume the change? And, and Helen, if you wouldn't mind coming to you yeah. first. What was most in my mind when I said, I don't think this is organizationally doable, is our organization has so many other items and activities on its agenda. How is ours going to cut through? And it's a point that's kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And, and Kendrick Cox, my boss, he's got one of the overall sponsors of the programme, always one of his mantras is HR transformation does not exist in a bubble. And it's that point around all the time, every conversation that we're having with stakeholders, whether it's the HR teams, whether it's the wider business, whether it's our partners, has to be in the context of meeting them where they are to understand what needs to be true in order for our change to keep moving forwards. Because I think it's really easy when you're living 100% of your life on a programme such as this. You know, you live, you sleep, you breathe it. And then when you walk into a room where someone's also dealing with the fact of they're struggling to get hold of talent because of, we know how hard it is. Or, you know, we're dealing in a world of, particularly during the pandemic, when absolutely the focus was how do we ensure that we're protecting our employees and being there for our patients and customers? And we're there still with this agenda. We have to keep our business case going because that's what we've signed up to. And it's that for me of always trying to keep it top of mind for people to that point about momentum and alignment, but also being realistic and empathetic in meeting the business where they are. To keep it moving. Not to put words in mouth at all here, and this is just a reflection going back on previous conversations. People, employees, cut right across every business. They deliver 
on the strategy. They deliver for the customer day in, day out. A, a mistake I think that is made is that it becomes then about HR and people and HR get morphed into, into one. And what you're saying there with that expression of, you know, meet your stakeholders where they are based on their reality, where they are in the business, where they are versus the strategy, I think is a fundamental point. Because HR isn't an island. You know, it's a custodian of people and, and champions people. Simon, I, I, I'm conscious that I haven't brought you into the conversation uh, as much yet, and I would welcome your thoughts. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about um, that conversation we had about is it organisationally doable? And I was wondering whether there's also uh, a consideration about just the resource availability and capacity uh, within uh, HR or within the project, the wider project team about can we just take this on? Because the day job is probably difficult enough already. We've got presumably inefficient systems, and that's why we're thinking about changing, but that means that we're very busy. How how do we break out of that vicious circle of we're too busy to do it, but until we do it, we will always be too busy? I'm just going to take a first stab at that, because I think one of the things that the HR Transformation Programme has done really, really well is taking, it's the joined up thinking. So Helen referenced the partners, but we from day one had procurement, finance, IT, and of course, all the, the key HR people. So planning, communication, the governance that's been put around this, nothing has been able to sort of bubble out of control. So we have a very robust governance. So I know from an IT perspective, the resource can be scheduled and planned any issues or anything that's going to escalate or bubble up or undermine the success of the programme is surfaced very quickly. The other thing that I think has been hugely successful is the programme has got a number of work streams and we've made sure that we've had cross work stream conversations. Um, so you talk about the employee and I was desperate to mention that we've we've actually got an employee experience work stream. It's that significant and, and the sponsors are very keen to reinforce the importance of that experience and the fact that we're not implementing an HR system for HR. Helen, probably you want to talk about because I think the HR resource was the most challenging of all, wasn't it? of securing those alongside doing the day job during a really busy period of time for us. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's as true for people coming onto the programme as it is for, for sort of subject matter expert resources. I think that at times, you know, we are a global team. We say, so we've got folks in the US and the UK, and I, I'd like to come back and talk about alignment in that space. Actually, I think I've got a top tip there. But specifically to resources in terms of getting access to folks in the HR function when the, the, the ass on the business, you know, astronomical. Using that 24-hour clock actually became a real benefit to us of where, how could we pass the baton and, and try and reduce the ask on people and get really smart about it in a world where we also were all working remotely it was something we really had to think about to try and limit as much of the ask on the business as possible, whilst also bearing in mind that this is also a great learning opportunity for people too. So we really have had to partner closely to get to the best of that. And, and we're now hitting that phase where we're about to activate our Change Champion Network. 
And what has been great is the amount of people who do want to get involved. And it's almost we've got people putting hands up despite capacity. And now how do we manage that? It is that next phase that we're coming into? Because that whole stakeholder map that we were talking about in terms of number of stakeholders, now we're getting close to go live. As you say, we're touching every person in the business massively expands. So it's trying to involve people so that A, they feel engaged, but B, we get the right input for the program to make sure that this lands in the right way for employees, but also always being sensitive to the amount that is on people's plates. I'm glad you've mentioned that because the opportunity for growth is enormous, right? There's no ifs or buts. I'm going back to your analogy right at the beginning of the conversation about this is a mountain range with peaks and lows, et cetera, et cetera. So the opportunity for learning it is great. And, and it is that chance for somebody to put their hand up and say, I'd like to do this because I'm going to get exposure, et cetera. And we've talked about this on other episodes that when we look at the way I think organizations will thrive going forward, it will be with the more of a dispersed leadership kind of model where people are stepping up. So I, I want to get, though, into that learning a little bit more if I can. Could we look at this from a personal perspective for the moment and really leaning in to lead a change of any scale requires, I think, a real personal investment. It requires a level of courage, motivation. And and again, I think that sometimes is not appreciated. I, I was just talking to one of my daughters last night about, you know, how you overcome fear, for example, or how you step in. And I said, you know, people go up in aeroplanes and jump out of it at 20,000 feet with something strapped on their back that helps them get to the, the bottom. And before they jump, it's terrifying. But when they land, it's the most exhilarating thing ever. I mean, that's what this actually feels like. It, and it's hard to explain to a 13-year-old who's looking at you as if you're bonkers. But could you just give us a lens personally on what this has meant to you? Because this is not a small undertaking. And would you mind if I just start with you first? Because embryonically this the, the kickoff was largely with yourself and then it's morphed then hasn't it so you know the duration so let me let me pause and just get your thoughts please on the personal investment you're absolutely right it it became almost a mission we were going Helen and I were going to get this over the line regardless and I don't know at what point it morphed from my day job into sheer bloody-minded determinist that I was going to get something approved. And Helen and I used to laugh all the time and say, you know, when we'd when we'd faced a, a setback and we'd say, mate, we are going to be on that stage together at Success Connect. We are going to be talking about how we implemented success factors. And this isn't a bad stepping stone, to be honest, towards us on that stage. But I think, truthfully, I think Helen and I worked in partnership, so I wasn't ever on my own. We worked together. We drew on each other. Um, when one of us was having a defeatist moment and it's never going to happen, the other one would give us a good kick and say, we will, we'll be on that stage. And I think it was, it was a huge effort. It was hugely rewarding that we got it achieved, that we achieved, you know, the, the business case approval. And it's carried on. Um, you know, it, it it doesn't stop at approval. Uh, Helen, what would what would you say? How did you keep going? So my flippant answer is buckets of resilience and coffee and a small investment in anti-aging skincare. 
<laughs> my uh, seriously has far more wrinkles um I think the thing the thing I always say to my team is what helps you survive and thrive in this enjoyably mad organization of ours is knowing your people and the importance of relationships and I think that's being equally true of what it takes to keep a program like this going always for me you know and is my work wife I know there will not be another relationship in my career like this one and it means a lot that doesn't mean that we don't argue it doesn't mean that you know it's not frustrating for both of us no doubt probably more around than me at times but it genuinely has been a partnership to get us here and then that partnership also how you build the team out from there and you know bring it as that this came from us and as she was saying then Anne and I and then now a program team that you know at any times has been up to 30 people how do you keep that level of involvement and inclusion and expand that understanding has been a massive learning for me, particularly during you know, COVID. I've got a team across the say, US and UK, employees and third party contractors, quite a few who've never walked in one of our offices before. And I, yeah, that's the that's the leadership journey of my three years in this role, to be honest. How do you keep that team aligned and understanding and motivated and optimistic? Because if it's only if we're all aligned, can then we make sure the programme stays on track and that our stakeholders are aligned too. But go back to the story you developed. How important is the story? Because, and I'm pulling, pulling words out here, mission, right? You know, the story, keeping the motivation, keeping that interest. How important was the story as a red thread? Massive. I mean, that whole, you know, in those tough moments when, you know, you're in the depths of the mountain range and trying to you know the thing we talk about a lot is one foot in front of the other in those moments what can we do and how do we keep putting one foot in front of the other and that whole are we still doing the right thing to transform team member experience was the point that we I still come back to and that is still some trade-off sometimes that we have to make because you know that how these things are as you get into them everything that you thought you were going to get starts to adapt at times so fundamentally that's the piece that we had to keep coming for me anyway certainly I don't know about Anne, but that's the piece that I had to keep coming back to and bringing the team back to yeah no I, I think these are really top tips I, I I really do I think this is super super helpful because again it's just picking through the nuances of what this actually really means and picking it apart in a way that gives us some perspective and can I come back to you for a follow-up Yes, although you've made me laugh by saying uh, the nuances, because that's been my biggest learning having worked with Helen, is there is apparently, there are apparently other shades than black and white coming from 25 years in IT. I wasn't so aware and I have had to learn the nuance. Um, but I think when we go back to the story, something that has helped us keep that story front and centre is that we haven't sat in a programme team bubble. We do go out and speak constantly to the stakeholders, whether, you know, that's IT or, or HR, and we are constantly reminded of the need for change. So I think sometimes there is a temptation on a programme this size to go off and become the programme team and become separate to the organisation or the body you're delivering for. and we haven't allowed that to happen. I do also think there is something in there. There's something for me around the fact that Helen and I are both hugely involved with business resource groups. We both work on behaviours and inclusion 
Um, and I think that has really been simmering a little bit under the surface as well in how we've approached this. So if you look at the key behaviours are keeping people updated, keeping yeah. people involved, including, and that's something that we do because we think it's important in every aspect of our working life. Thank you for sharing that personal experience and what you have taken from that, because we, we never get mastery. We're always learning. There, there are the nuances, as, as, as we call it. There are the peaks and, and the lows. But I, I think, you know, for me, I, I, I certainly try and advise when I'm working with prospects or customers or anybody who's embarking upon a change that you really need to focus on the end in mind and work backwards. You know, what's the desired outcome? What's the purpose of doing this? What's the reason for doing this? You know, what ultimately does this mean to individuals? Yes, you may need some capability. You may need a solution that's going to enable the change to happen, but don't get swayed by that. And unfortunately, many do get swayed by that, and that becomes the be-all and the and the end-all. And and we know that that isn't the case. So our, our, our listeners love the tips, the advice, the wisdom. So I'm just going to give you a, a a scenario. You're standing in a room of 200 people who uh, don't work with you. They're external, and they're about to embark upon a program where they're going to lead an organizational change or transformation. What would be some of your guidance to this folk with their backpacks on and they're literally about to put their first foot in front of the, ne the next one? What would be, you know, what would be some of your big tips? And again, so Helen, if I may come to you first, and then Anne, I will ask you for your tips and guidance. So Helen. So. The first one is always know where you're going. So that North Star, which is for us to say, is transforming team member experience. Know that, always check that. Is what we're doing still moving towards that goal that we've got in mind? Because if it is, then there's a way around it. And if it's not, then there's some tweaking to be done to be cool, what's right or not. Then I think it's about absolutely staying optimistic. And I think, you know, that whole keeping yourselves and your teams optimistic and working out what can be done when you're in the doldrums and then moving it forward into one foot in front of the other is key. Alignment, alignment, alignment. My Honestly, my biggest learning, I can't echo enough, is alignment on this. And then finally, you know, find your people. So, you know, in all aspects of my work, my mantra is find your people. And I'd say it's especially true when you're on a when you're in the foothills of a program like this. The right people around you is key. So it's the right people with the right skills. I didn't want to assume what you meant by find your people, but it's having that the right people at the right time, yes? Yeah, it's more than skills for me though. It's around who are the right people who will challenge you in the right way, who will help you celebrate successes in the right way, but will also be that critical friend at the right times to help drive you on so that you don't get into that. What Anne was talking about around that programme think when it becomes programme against the world, that you stay grounded in yeah. the objective and the mission and objective of the business. You know, at the end of the day, we're here for customers and patients. How do you keep close to that? And it's yeah. the people that will help you do that that I think are critical to it. Top tips. Helen, thank you. Anne? Helen's stolen some of my tips, but I'll let her have those. But I'm going to build out on her people one because she's absolutely spot on. But I also think I would say find out, make sure you're clear on your influences and your decision makers. Really nail those and then get the partners in place to man mark them. 
Um, I think Helen referenced earlier, if we would have had a finance business partner in our gang of three, it wasn't for lack of trying. Um, so I think understand who the people are that you need on side and on board. And to Helen's point, alignment, alignment, alignment. I'm going to go very IT now, very dull, but understand the process. We had to navigate really complex global processes because WBA operate on a divisional basis and we were doing something, we were pretty trailbreaking, trailblazing even, um, really, in that we were looking to do something truly global um, at a functional level. And so I would say with a very large backpack of resiliency, find that process out. And if it doesn't exist, make sure you're speaking to the right people to understand what it can be. So, um, yeah, I would say no, whether that's an approval process, whether that's a design authority, whatever it is, identify the process, get the people in place and um, and get that get in there early. And you're advocating, Anne, that you just do that at the get go. For sure. Don't, don't ever leave those bits assuming that it will follow a happy path. We didn't find a happy path. We found a path. We created the path. We hacked bushes to get to a path. But it, I would say don't underestimate the effort involved in that particular piece because it's yeah. huge. I remember saying to somebody once, I said, why would you navigate a swamp if you don't know what's in the swamp? And and it's, it, it's you've got to know the path, right? You, whatever the path is, it doesn't really matter, but... You've got to you've got to know it. They're great tips. They're great. I'm going to be cheeky and I'm going to actually throw in one last question um, because it sort of came up earlier on. And I and I just want to touch on it before we close out. You mentioned the word tension. This this is a bit of a reflective point for me that one of my favorite words is rigor. And I'm pretty sad that. But I think when you're looking at change, you need that, that rigor. Your to your point, Helen, it doesn't always go as you thought. You've got to iterate and you've got to adapt. But somewhere in there, there has to also be that tension. Can I just sort of, you know, because the, what the tension does for me, it makes sure that you actually stay on track and you're honest and you're dealing with integrity, right? And you're staying true to that North Star. And sometimes that means somebody who challenges. Can you just, just give me a little glimpse before we close out on what, how did you keep that tension throughout? Because I do think that is an ingredient. Do you agree or do you disagree? Helen? I agree. And I feel like I have to give a, a mention. Um, I talked about Kendrick, one of our sponsors. At this point, I need to mention our other sponsor, Salvanagus, who um, has absolutely every step of the way been the guiding force around employee experience and team member experience from the moment that we became um, HR Transformation. And we, we, we took that link. And that tension around, are we doing enough to transform for the employee, particularly in the system space, has been a tension that Sal has held us to every step of the way. And always, you know, put the experience first before you put the process, before you put the system and it all happened to be in tandem. And I think that really has driven us to the right decisions and kept us on track. I don't know what you think, Anne. Yeah, I, I beamed the minute you uh, went to answer. I knew that's what you were going to say. I would also call out Hilary Lyston, our fab HR director for Walgreens, constantly asking, what does this mean for my team? We're the biggest. What are we going to get? Is it going to make a difference? And quite rightly, because they are the ultimate 
customer. So I think you've had a good couple um, of robust stakeholders that have given you that rigor. And it's been quite hard. It's mm. not easy. I also think from a ways of working perspective, Helen has set the tone from the top of not just going along, constantly challenging each other, constantly seeking, am I right or do I need to think this differently? So I would actually give some credit to Helen too. That's brilliant. Anna and Helen, thank you so much for for being guests. I mean, Simon and I um, earmarked this conversation, this episode, right from the beginning. Um, we had the pleasure of working with you for a huge period of time. You informed a lot of our thinking. You know, that that workshop where we came away, Simon and I on the train, and debated organisational readiness all the way home. It was one of those sort of, you know, just put the consciousness of, yes, this is a critical dimension. And it's not that we didn't know that, but it's too easy to forget it and not talk about it and assume others know it and they don't know it. So um, this has been a really, really important conversation. Simon, any closing words from yourself? Yeah, and not to, not to forget the shout out we had in episode four with Vikas Shah, who was the originator of the, the three circle model. And we, we spoke to him about your experiences and your observations around that fourth circle. Uh, and he loved that part of the conversation as well. So, you know, it, it, it was you know, good to see that loop being closed uh, back to the original thinker. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, thank you. Oh, Anne, sorry. Yes. What I wanted to do was go back and mention Helen Watt, because I think without Helen, we were a merry band of three women, I think, who were all trying to kick ass. And Helen brought you guys in. She brought other experts from SAP in. Whenever we were struggling with that, how do we? She was always there saying, how can, I, how can SAP help? What can we do to help? And I think she contributed massively. So I don't think we could cover this without mentioning Helen. <laughs> yeah, I think that's lovely. And we think Helen's a rock star and and she she led us as well as a group of people brilliantly. And, you know, she was so committed to the change, not the solution. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a lovely shout out, Anne, and thank you for doing that. Uh, I know Helen will appreciate it. So I, I, I just want to bring this to a close. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for your honest insights. Um, and, and I think the tips and guidance that uh, hopefully our listeners will will glean uh, from this episode would, I think, be huge. So a huge thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Loved it. See you at Success Connect. <laughs> Simon, you and I had the pleasure of working with Anne and Helen, and we got to know them both very well as individuals. It was a great privilege and a pleasure to provide them with as much support as we could uh, when they were building this change. And uh, it was just wonderful, really refreshing to understand, you know, what they did, how they did it, their lessons learned, the way that they've described it. I think there's some real nuggets. So let's quickly get to then, what are our takeaways? But can I start with you first? You know, what were some of your real nuggets that you took away from that conversation? Well, I'd just like to agree, first and foremost. It was lovely to see Anne and Helen again, uh, especially after our, our trips to Nottingham and where we talked about this topic and others, um, you know, to support them in their journey. But I, I, I actually like the way the conversation opened and the way it framed the change itself. 
uh, and that the way they thought of this as either a series of mini mountains or even a mountain range. So rather than just one big change, it was actually a series of smaller change with peaks and troughs and how they therefore maintained their energy, their momentum, their good cheer, if you like. Sometimes when they're in the troughs, but also that potential sort of adrenaline rush about achieving you know, some of the, the achievements that they set out to do. But then reflecting on the end of the conversation, when we looked at the tips, but you know, the one that leapt out for me was about you know, always trying to focus on where you're going with your journey and, and potentially having to revisit that at stages during that journey, just to remind yourself what you're doing, why you're doing it, so that you can keep pulling in the in the same direction, in the, in the right way, uh, and, and stay positive uh, throughout. So I think, you know, really great tips, but I suspect you've also got a lot of takeaways as well. I had loads. I honestly, I had loads. As I said, I was writing down throughout. And just, just to name a couple, I, I loved Anne talking about marking your stakeholders. It's so difficult. And meeting people where they are, this isn't about a bubble. You know, they were really clear on that, weren't they? And meet your stakeholders where they are, but mark them and stay close to them and keep them updated. I think that's a top tip. You, you're right about, you know, the North Star and, and know your process from the beginning. We see this so often, don't we, where, you know, we're asking people maybe halfway through where they go, what, what actually is the process now to get organizational sign off? And they don't know. So Anne was very clear about know that right at the beginning. Helen, I loved it. Alignment, alignment, alignment. It's so difficult, isn't it? But the couple of a couple of the last ones for me were about this right people and right partners, the challenge, the tension, the sensor check, making sure that that journey was the right journey. But then she talked about people volunteering to get involved in the project and really get in that opportunity to grow. But that last one about the right partners, you know, it's not just about IT and HR. It was about procurement. It was about the communications team, et cetera, et cetera. It 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 does need that combination of skills to get that story lit. It's almost like greenlit, isn't it, in the, in the context of getting a movie made. I love the way as well that they, they drew on each other uh, yes. in, in times of adversity. I think that was really important as well, that you know, having somebody that they could talk about when they were feeling maybe down in the dumps, but also share those highlights as well. And that, that, that friendship was very clear between the two of them as well, I thought, and a really nice dynamic. I, listen, I agree with you completely, and I, and I think it's, you know, we remiss of us not to say that we have a huge amount of respect for Helen and Anne. And, and I think when you see changes of this ilk, it's a human change. It's, it's not a systemic change. It's, it's, it's behavioral. It's emotive. And I agree with you completely. They, they, they have a great friendship, a great challenge, and they really work this together and they were determined to achieve it. So I think, Simon, anybody who's leading a project or leading a change, I hope will get a ton from this conversation. So huge thanks to Helen and Anne for giving up their time today and share. Delighted. So on to the next. But Simon, as always, thank you. Great episode, great conversation. And until the next one, goodbye. <laughs>